Good morning and welcome to everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to have all of you at worship this morning in the overflow, this morning at, at Perry, Oklahoma, wherever you are, however you're joining us and whenever it is for you. Uh, delighted that you would open God's word together with us and listen for a word from the Lord. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is the second in a message series entitled Red Letters. We're simply trying to preach the words that Jesus said. Now, not everybody has a, a red letter edition of the scriptures. Uh, I'm presently not preaching from one, but you may have one, and this is what I'm talking about. If you notice in Matthew chapter 5, it's one of the longest stretches of red letters, one of the longest uh, stretches of Jesus' own teaching. It goes all the way through Matthew chapter 5, all the way through Matthew chapter 6, all the way through Matthew chapter 7, uh, an entire sermon that is called... Yeah, Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take a look at it this morning. Uh, this is perhaps the, the first or, or the most typical kind of teaching that Jesus taught to those who began to follow him, the crowds, the outer circle, and then that inner circle of, of Jesus' own believers. But one thing that is absolutely clear when you pay attention to the words that Jesus said is that uh, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are, are, are not our thoughts. When it comes to the world... Uh, Things are just absolutely upside down from, from Jesus' perspective. One of the clearest pictures I've ever seen of that is, is a, a very famous missionary story. A man named Don Richards and his wife Carol uh, went to what which was the, uh, the Dutch West Andes at, at some point. And they were working with a tribe of people called the Sawi. Now the Sawi were headhunter cannibals. You with me? Headhunters, cannibals. Yeah, they would cut your head off and eat you. Uh, Don and Carol were called to go to these people that were absolutely cut off from all of the world, all of civilization. And they knew that they're, um, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And especially with the Sawi, they will cut your head off and eat you. It turns out that the Sawi were, uh, of course, very spiritually dark people. Um, and it's not just that they were, you know, headhunter cannibals. That's pretty bad. But, but they had a totally upside-down system of ethics, the entire culture among the Sawi tribe. And, and in, their, in their standard of ethics, the, the highest good, in other words, the, the, the best thing you could achieve, the thing that if you, if you managed to achieve it, you know, your grandma would, would, you know, put your picture on a refrigerator kind of thing. Um, the highest honor, the highest goal in their society was treachery, betrayal. They thought that was cool, which means that among the Sawi people, the goal would be if somebody new comes in, they pretend to be your friend, and they think this is good. They pretend to be your friend, and the longer they make it last, and the more they pull you in, the better, because you know what they're doing, right? They're fattening you up. And they're going to pretend to love you, they're going to pretend to be your friend, and then one day when you don't expect it, they're going to cut off your head, yeah, eat you, put your head uh, on, on the mantle just to remember your friendship, you know, th th that sort of thing. Seriously, betrayal was for them the highest good. And so when Don and Carol began to share the gospel and they told the gospel story, and they got to the part where Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. And then they got to the part where Judas betrayed Jesus with the kiss. All of the Sawi people 
erupted in laughter and applause. Judas was the hero of the story for them, and Jesus was the poor fool that you eat. It's, it's an amazing, amazing missionary story. How do you begin to share the gospel with people when the world is so upside down? And now, real honestly, you may not live in a tribe of headhunter cannibals. You might. But still, the world we live in is very upside down. And when you begin to hear the message of Jesus, when you begin to lift up Jesus, you will quickly understand how out of step the world is with Jesus in this teaching, which is what brings us to Matthew chapter 5. These are some of the first teachings that Jesus began to share with his people. You and I are sort of used to this. This is one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture, but, but I really want you to pay attention to how shocking this is. My ways are not your ways, the Lord says, and it's no better illustrated than here. Matthew chapter 5. One day as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Here we go, red letters. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are meek, those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Wow. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers be happy about it be happy about it be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven and remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. More often than I deserve, I get to hear magical words from my wife, Casey. We've been married almost 25 years, love her so much. Um, every now and then she'll say, you're cute. I don't deserve that, y'all know that. I'm a 47-year-old man. I am not cute. I know I'm not cute. I know that. And, and there are you know, hundreds of people in this room thinking the very same thing. Uh, I, I am not cute. Y'all know I'm not cute. But you know what the hilarious thing is? Casey really thinks I am. It's like the joke is on her. She really thinks I am. Um, how, how do you judge an ugly person from a beautiful person? Don't look down your pew now. This would be the wrong time to look down. How, how do you judge who gets to say who's, who's beautiful, who's ugly? A while back uh, in a restaurant on a busy day at lunch, there was a, a table full of very well-dressed people. Among those people, a man in a suit, nice-looking suit. 
There was a, a young woman who was their waitress that day waiting on the table, and it was a busy day and a crazy day, and the restaurant was just hopping. And this girl was new and doing her very best. Anyway, long story short, she was coming uh, around the salad bar with one of those big, big, tall plastic jugs of Thousand Island dressing. As she was coming, she was going around the table of well-dressed people. She somehow stumbled over her own feet, and she just poured, dumped the entire jug of Thousand Island dressing on the man sitting there in the nice suit. He exploded. He exploded. Now, he's covered in Thousand Island dressing. It would be funny. Except for him, it wasn't. He, he exploded. He stood up, and, and the girl started trying to scrape and, and clean the dressing off of him. It, it was useless, of course, but he just began screaming at her in the middle of the restaurant, screaming, this grown man in the nice suit yelling now at, at, at a tiny girl who had just spilled thousand-dollar dressing on him. He was screaming at her, saying, you are so stupid. You are so stupid. This is a brand-new suit. This is a $350 suit. He's yelling, and the whole restaurant now is listening. This is a $350 suit, and you've ruined it. This is the first day I've ever worn it, the first day I've worn this suit out, and now you've ruined it. It's wasted. $350 suit. About that time, his wife stood up. And she stood up and she started at it too. And she's wagging her finger saying it's a $350 suit. And it's the first day he's worn it. And now both of these people are yelling at this poor girl who is just crying now. And the whole restaurant is listening to his incredible tantrum. A $350 suit. This is the very first day I've gotten to wear it out. And now I demand to see the manager. I demand to see the manager, this stupid girl. And on and on he went. The manager comes out and says, sir, I am so sorry. You ought to be sorry. It's a $350 suit. The first day I've went out, and the, the woman's going out to $350 suit, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they're just going, going. The manager said, sir, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to write me a check for a $350 suit, $350 suit the first day. And, oh, oh, my goodness. Okay. Think about that. And then connect some dots with me. It was a Sunday. Okay? Did you just connect the dots? It was a Sunday, and this whole table of well-dressed people, just, you know, guessing where did they probably come from. Yeah, and that $350, $350 suit, the first time I've worn it out, where do you think he wore it? church, probably heard a sermon on maybe loving your neighbor, yeah, something like that. Wow. You know, just an aside, waiters and waitresses tend to hate Sunday afternoon. You know why? Church people, you, you're going to break your neck to get out here and get to Ryan's all-you-can-eat buffet, and you're going to be a lousy tipper. Yeah, that's what they say about us. You know, church people fill the restaurants on Sunday, but we're all lousy tippers. Yeah. Wow. The thing is, we don't really see ourselves the way other people see us. I'm quite sure the man in the $350 suit thought he looked really nice walking into church. And I would imagine that in his own mind, he's one of God's people. I would say in his mind, he's one of God's people. 
He's the kind of man that goes to church and wears a nice suit when he gets there. He's the kind of man that entertains his friends at a restaurant on Sunday. He's probably thinking he's really one of God's people, just, just one of those chosen ones that represent God in the world. And I come back to the question, who gets to decide who's ugly and who's beautiful? Who gets to decide who's pleasing and who is not pleasing? If it's true that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, then who is the ultimate judge? Who gets to say which of us are truly the acceptable ones, the pleasing ones, and which of us aren't? Well, obviously it's God. Obviously it's God. You and I are not very good judges. We don't judge ourselves very well. As a matter of fact, I'd say we judge ourselves worse than anybody else because we don't see ourselves well. We tend to see ourselves only in the very best possible light, and we tend to see everybody else in the worst possible light. Let's just be honest. We are not ones to judge, but God alone is the one to judge. So when Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, when Jesus steps up on this mountainside on this particular day and starts to teach, it's interesting that one of his very first sermons is this sermon. What we call the Beatitudes, the people that God blesses. Who are the ones that God approves of? Who are the ones that have God's special attention, God's favor? Who are the ones who enjoy the privileges and benefits of belonging to God? Who are these people? And the surprising thing is, it's not the people you think. It's not necessarily the Sunday morning churchgoers in the $350 suit. It's not necessarily you and me, and that's the shocking part. When Jesus speaks, it is not what we expect to hear. Dig in with me. The Beatitudes are called the Beatitudes because of that first word in every verse. That word is, say it. Yeah, blessed. Yeah, we tend to say blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed. That word is blessed. Let me ask you a question. Of, of all the words in the English language that end with E-D, why do we give that word two syllables? Blessed. Blessed. We don't pronounce any other word like that. If I were to say, Warren, what's wrong with your hair today? It's messed it up. No, no, he would say, no, I ran out of time when I was getting dressed. No, no, it would be dressed and messed and, and honestly blessed. Blessed. But we tend to give this word two syllables because in our minds, this is a very religious word. Blessed. Blessed. Well, when Jesus stepped up to teach on this day, understand, it's, it's not a particularly religious word. It's a common word, a very common word in his language, a very common word in their culture. The word is makarios, makarios. It was very common. The problem is there is no English equivalent. We do not have a word in our language. We don't have any word like it. We don't have a word that says what Macario says. So we plug in the word bless, or if you want, bless it. We plug in that word. For Jesus, the word, it had to do with happiness. And some of you may be looking at a translation that simply uh, reads it as, as happy. Happy are the poor. Happy are those who mourn. But, but happy doesn't get there. Happy's pretty good. I guess it's as good as anything. The word has to do with happiness. 
Sometimes makarios, the word that Jesus is using, had the, 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 the kind of thrust of a word like congratulations. It's kind of like congratulations to the poor. C- congratulations to those who mourn. Congratulations to the peacemaker. It's kind of that uh, good for you. It's, it's sort of that kind of word. It has all of these kinds of uses. Makarios, the, the, the word that, that Jesus used. It has to do with, with contentment. It has to do with satisfaction, with fulfillment. It's, it's a tremendous word, very, very common to Jesus in his day. But we don't have that word in our language. We don't really have a word. Congratulations wouldn't be a, a, a very good translation f- for us. Happy is, is, is close, but, but really not there either. The, the, the word blessed is, is the word that we use. It's probably as close as we can come. God blesses, the New Living Translation says, God blesses. When Jesus uses this word, the idea is that, number one, uh, there is someone outside of me or beyond me, that there's someone other than, than I who has the power and the position to, to bless me. Understand that? To use that word bless, it, 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 it involves that there's someone beyond me who's going to be doing the giving, going to be doing the, the blessing. So understand, when Jesus uses this word blessed, he's really talking about receiving something, receiving benefits, receiving reward, somehow receiving privileges that can only come from God. Only God is in the position and only God has the power to bestow certain things. So when Jesus says bless, this is what he's saying. God blesses. God, the only one in the position, the only one with the power to bestow certain things, bestows those things on certain people. And this is where the Beatitudes come from. God blesses. So the question becomes, who does God bless? If there are privileges, if there are benefits, if there are rewards that only come from God, then who gets those rewards? Who receives those blessings? Who are the people that God blesses? And from there, Jesus preaches. Dig in with me. God blesses those who are, say the word, poor. God blesses those who are poor. Now, right off the bat, that's tough. But that's tough. When you see the poor in the world, and we have a team of men going this very week to Southeast Asia to help the poor. It's amazing. We're going to take clean water to two villages, two villages in Southeast Asia. When we think of the poor, you hardly ever imagine that they're blessed. Usually we think of poor people as being those who are somehow separated, separated from good things, separated from the necessities of life. But, but this is exactly where Jesus starts his sermon. God blesses those who are poor. Now again, what is a poor person? A, a, a poor person is one who is separated from, from certain necessities. But, but notice, God blesses those who are poor in spirit. This is what Jesus says. Those who are poor in spirit. New Living Translation says God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Those who are poor and realize their need for him. Spiritually poor. Spiritually poor. In other words, there are people who are separated from all of the necessities of the spiritual life. Things like grace, things like forgiveness, 
Things like joy and peace and love and and patience and gentleness and self-control. These are spiritual qualities. And the fact of the matter is there are people in the world who are completely cut off, separated from all of the spiritual wealth. And where did the spiritual things come from? Only God. Only God. So notice, this is where the whole sermon begins. God blesses those who are spiritually poor. Those who realize their need for God. You know, one of the old criticisms of the Christian faith is, is you'll hear people say, I think Ted Turner said it most famously, that the Christian faith, Christianity, is a crutch. It's a crutch. How would you respond to that? Someone who says, it's a crutch. Now, what is a crutch? Let's just define the term. What's a crutch? Yeah, it it is a device, a mechanical device that helps a, a crippled person. A crutch is something you lean on when your legs aren't strong enough to stand. You understand? A crutch. And he says that Christianity, the Christian faith, is a crutch. A crutch for crippled people or, or weak people. That's his insinuation that it's a crutch, something to prop up weak people. How would you respond? So? Of, of course that's what it is. Well, of course that's what it is. Of course it's a crutch. Of course that's a crutch. Now, when people use that as an insult for us, they assume that you're going to be insulted because to say that you need a crutch is to say that you are somehow weak. So? I mean, you are. That's the point. You are. You are weak. You are spiritually bankrupt. It's not just that you've fallen on hard spiritual times. You are spiritually flat, broke, busted. You don't have any of the resources that you need to save yourself. You don't have any of the strength that you need to make a new start in life. You cannot change yourself. You can't break the bad habits. If you could do it, you would have already done it. It's not in you. You are weak. You are broken. You are absolutely spiritually crippled. And this is Jesus' point. God can begin to bless you the moment you realize that. The moment you realize that you don't have it in you, you cannot be a better man. You're never going to be a better woman. We all wish you could be, but we've just given up on the hope. It's not going to happen. You don't have it in you. God alone, God alone can give you what you most deeply need. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs belongs to them. That's amazing. Keep going with me. God blesses those who say the word mourn. Seriously? You ever had a mourner in your life? You ever really had somebody who cried a lot? And probably at first you felt a little sorry for him because, oh my goodness, you know, her, her little heart's just broken and you just listened. And she cried and cried and you just listened and then you prayed. And the next day she called you again and she is still crying. And you listened and she cried and cried and she told you, but it turns out she's telling you the same sad story. And today it's a little less sad to you. And so you pray with her again, but then pretty soon, you know, you just hang up the phone and guess what? She calls you again the next day. And she is still crying. 
And at this point, you have no more sympathy. Yeah, it just runs out. Mourners are not typically the ones we want to say, congratulations. No. no. It, it's, it's horrible to have a broken heart. It's horrible to be the person who cries and cries and cries and just can't stop crying. We consider that misery. And we consider that person very, very difficult to be with. Who wants to be around a mourner? I mean, if you want to argue with me, let's just all go down to J.C. Kirby Funeral Home this afternoon and have a good time. Mourners, God blesses those who mourn. Now, what are we talking about? Honestly, there are some of us, we, we, we cry over spilled milk. We, we cry at the drop of a hat, and we drop our own hat. And we just cry baby. Some of us are just that. And we're not really talking about the person who, you know, you know cried on, on Downton Abbey last Sunday night. We're, we're not really talking about crying, you know, every, every time they open a new supermarket in Bowling Green. We're not talking about that. God blesses those who mourn. We're talking about people who have this broken heart over the things that ought to break your heart. You understand? You with me? God blesses those who weep over the things that ought to make you weep. First on that list ought to be your sin. God blesses those who mourn for their own sins. I mean, my goodness, my life is a mess. Your life is a mess. And guess what? You made it that way. It's your sin. It's my sin. It really ought to break your heart. Your shortcomings, your failures, the way you don't keep your promises. You understand? It ought to break your heart. Unfortunately, most of us never shed tears at all over the things that that ought to really break our hearts. God blesses those who mourn for their sins. God blesses those whose hearts are broken for the very things that break the heart of God. A lost and dying world. A whole community of children who do not know Christ. You understand? That breaks God's heart. And it really ought to break our hearts too. And this is what Jesus is getting at. God blesses those who mourn. They'll be comforted. God blesses those who are meek, humble, this New Living Translation. God blesses those who are meek, humble, for they shall inherit the whole earth. Interesting thing on this particular verse, this this word that Jesus says, is that it's nearly a direct quotation from Psalm 37. So in your Bible right there, write the note Psalm 37, and in your spare time this week, in your devotional time, go back and read Psalm 37. Because Jesus is pointing you back to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is the chapter that talks about how the meek and humble shall inherit the earth. But it's a fascinating chapter. It's the same chapter that says if you commit your ways into the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. It's the same chapter that says you've got to give up your anger. You've got to give up your rage. Man, some of you are rageaholics. You do anger so well. Some of you just wake up in the morning mad. You must, set your, you must set some sort of reminder. You must remind yourself to get mad. You get mad before anything ever happened. You just wake up mad. And there's something spiritually profoundly wrong with you if you can stay mad for so long. And for some of you now, it's been years. You've been mad for years. It's a spiritual issue pastor got into the car with one of his deacons it wasn't me and it wasn't one of our deacons just say that 
but it was a pastor who got in the car with one of his deacons. And he got in the car, and the first thing he noticed was that the sun visor over the passenger seat was just gone. And that's a weird thing. Those things just don't fall off or disappear. And so the pastor just, you know, he didn't think anything. He just said, what happened to your sun visor? The deacon said, oh, my wife ripped that off on Sunday on the way to church. Now, the pastor knew this wife, and she was just this little thing, little thing. He said, the pastor said, aren't, aren't those pretty hard to tear off? Deacon said, she was really mad. That's funny and not funny. That, that's funny and not funny. Some of you live in the house with somebody like that, and it's not funny. It's not funny. Psalm 37 talks all about how we have to put our anger aside. We have to give up our rage. If there is something wrong in the world, it's going to be God who makes it right, and you just have to wait for him. You've got to learn to put your anger aside, ma'am. You've got to learn, sir, to give up your rage. It, it is a sign of a real spiritual problem because what Jesus says is that God blesses those who are meek now meek doesn't mean weak you understand meek doesn't mean weak meek isn't just you know sort of like the doormat kind of person that everybody runs over that's not at all what this word means that Jesus uses meek is really the picture of 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 strength under control the word that Jesus uses is actually related to the word for bridle. So it's a picture of this gigantic animal, an ox or, or a horse that is massive and strong, but it is controlled because it is bridled. And the very picture is that God blesses those who are strong but know how to keep their strength under control. Those who aren't weak, but at the same time they give up, they give up their own right sometimes to act in anger because they simply are willing to let God take care of things. You, you wait on the Lord, you trust him. God blesses those who are humble, Jesus says, for they shall take over the whole earth. Isn't that great? Not the angry people, not the soldiers with guns, but just the people who know how to keep it under control. They just leave it to the Lord, commit their way to him. They're going to take over the whole planet. I can't wait for that to happen. Verse 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, for justice, for things to be made right, for right to be right and for wrong to be wrong and for the ones who do right to be rewarded and the those, those who do evil to be punished. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness. Get this one. God blesses those who are merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Notice the scriptural principle there, how mercy comes from mercy. Mercy flows out of mercy. Why should I show mercy to other people? Why should I show mercy to the girl in the restaurant who dumps a whole gallon, a thousand gallon dress on my brand new suit? Why should you give that girl a break? Because God shows me such mercy every day. I am the recipient of so much grace, so much forgiveness, so much mercy. It only makes sense that I would be a very, very merciful person. I deserve already to be condemned and destroyed by a holy and just God. 
I am the recipient of such grace. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they should be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. That's the greatest reward. You know that, right? To see him. Those whose hearts are pure will, will see him. This is one of those places where Jesus is is exposing the way our world is so upside down. Especially in his day, the Pharisees who appeared so very religious. The Pharisees weren't typically known as hypocrites. Everyone assumed that they were exactly what they appeared to be. And they appeared to be very godly, very righteous, very holy men. But Jesus knew differently because he could see their hearts And that's why as Jesus is laying out the people that God blesses, he goes straight to the heart. It doesn't say God blesses those who go to church. It doesn't say God blesses those who manage to be kind to everybody. It doesn't say God blesses those who have an appearance of doing good. It says God blesses those whose hearts are pure. They are on the inside what they appear to be on the outside. A pure heart. It has to do with moral innocence like a child. It also has to do with, with having a heart that's not divided. Uh, one person said that, that, that to have purity of heart is to desire only one thing. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who are peacemakers, those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Peacemakers. Man, we need more of them. Anybody ever ride the school bus? Man, y'all just be lucky you didn't ride the school bus. In the 1970s in Woodburn, when I, when I rode the school bus, we had this kid, and I won't name him because he's still alive and lives in Woodburn. Um, he was just this kid who loved to stir things up. And he, was, and he did it for his own entertainment. He thought this was great. We'd just be riding on the bus, and Don would be, Don wasn't on my bus, I'm just using an example, but Don would be on the front seat, and Lucas would be on the second seat, and he'd just go, hey, Don. Lucas said he'd like to whip you. And then Don's up and say, what, what? And before you know it, Lucas is pounding on Don, and Don's pounding Lucas, and this guy's in the back just going, ha, 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 He'd just do that stuff. He'd just pick out two people and try to, try to get them into a fight, and it worked every time. It worked every time because people just seemed to be looking for a fight. God blesses those who make peace. Not those who like to stir things up. And honestly, there are still people like that in the world. There are people like that on your pew. People who just like to stir things up. If if they can get people mad, if they can get people bothered, if they can get people to agree with them that, that, that everybody else is wrong, I mean, they just eat that up. But seriously, if that's in you... If you just love to stir things up, if, you, if your heart doesn't break for peace, then honestly, you're really not living a life God can bless. God blesses those who work for peace, who are peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted. Persecuted for doing right. The kingdom of heaven is theirs persecuted. Back last December, as some of you know, in our 11 o'clock service, we have a a number of guests who are from another country, a communist country, that they're not free there. One of these women has professed new faith in Christ, and we were going to baptize her. It was really neat. 
Uh, as it turns out that one of the other women from the same country said, can I be baptized too? And I happened to know that this woman was a Christian. She'd been a Christian for several years. I said, have you never been baptized? And she said, in my country, it is illegal to be baptized. She's in the underground church. The night that she got saved, they told her to go home and wash her hair as a ritual, a ritual of baptism. But she'd never, ever seen that, the, the baptistry with water. I can't tell you as a pastor what it was to take that woman in a baptistry full of water, baptize her. Do you even understand that to fill that baptistry and invite people to be, to be baptized, there are countries where in this very moment that is not legal? I'm not making this up. I'm not telling you something to, to, to scare you or exaggerate. The, the fact is we have freedom in this country, and other people do not have that freedom, and, and there ought to be something that alarms you about that. We are in our culture able to practice our Christianity and our faith and preach uh, publicly and loudly, and, and I still thank God for that. But, but you need to understand that that's changing. It, it's changing. Y'all remember the movie Facing the Giants? It came out several years ago. You remember that? Some of you were babies. Uh, Facing the Giants uh, was a pretty good movie. How many of you saw that? Remember what it was rated? PG. Facing the Giants was rated PG because of all the cussing. No. Facing the Giants was a movie that was written, produced uh, in every way by a Baptist church, Sherwood Baptist Church. Uh, a church made a movie. There was zero profanity. There was no nudity at all. There was really no sex. It was, it was just a squeaky clean movie made by a Baptist church, rated PG. Do you know why the Motion Picture Association put a PG rating on it? What they call excessive Christianity. Excessive Christianity. Do you realize that in the country in which we're living, in my lifetime, and certainly in the lifetime of our, of our children, things are shifting. Profanity is no longer all of that objectionable, but Christianity is. It is becoming more and more difficult for a, for a Bible-preaching person to, to have respect or a place in our culture. You understand this, right? Louis Giglio, an evangelistic pastor, was disinvited from the presence inauguration because he's preached biblically on sexual issues. You know that? He was disinvited. We still have tremendous freedom, more freedom than any nation in the world, but you just need to understand that that is changing, and it might change, and in the generation that is behind me, it could change very, very drastically. And Jesus' own preaching should prepare you for that. It ought to prepare you for that. Because the fact remains, we live in a world that is upside down. We live in a world that will call wrong right and will call right wrong. We live in a world where those who feel spiritually broken aren't necessarily going to win any prizes by our culture. 
Those who mourn and those who want to make and live for peace and those who want to stand up for justice and righteousness. Do you understand? They're not going to win any rewards in our culture. We live in one of the greatest nations on the planet Earth, but it is shifting and it is upside down also. It may be a great country, but it is not the kingdom of heaven. It is not the kingdom that Jesus preached and inaugurated and invited all of us to come into. But as he begins his preaching and as he preaches his inaugural sermon, he just makes a few things clear. That those who are truly going to be rewarded in life, this life and the life to come, those people who are truly the beautiful people of the world, those who are receiving the privileges and benefits that can only come from God, those that you could call truly blessed are not the people you think. Not necessarily the people you think. So do you want God's blessing on your life? Understand, it's not a thing you can do to earn that. It's not that you can follow a model from Scripture even and somehow imitate these qualities and become the person that God can bless. You can't do it. You'll never do it. It it only comes as a gift from God himself through Christ. It's what we call grace. Your first step is simply to recognize you are spiritually bankrupt, poor, not a thing you can do to save yourself or fix yourself. It starts right there. God blesses those who are poor and understand their need for him. God blesses those whose hearts are broken for the things that break the heart of God. They're going to receive comfort from God. God blesses those who are humble and meek. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for things to be right. God blesses those who work for peace and make peace. God blesses those that the world will despise. Jesus says, they despise all the prophets before us. The fact of the matter is, they despised Jesus. So if we live for him, they're going to despise us too. So the little test for you this morning just as you leave this place today and go out into the world you go out into the restaurant with your thousand island dressing or whatever it is you you do look around look at the world ask yourself how well you fit in with everybody how well do you fit in with the world and the way the world rewards and, and and idolizes certain kinds of people ask yourself how well you fit in because Jesus sort of makes it clear that, that if you stay in step with him, you're, you're going to be out of step with the world. We have a very different idea of what makes a person beautiful, what makes a person pleasing or exciting. Jesus reminds us that when it comes to the people God blesses, it's never the ones you think. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, you climbed the mountain, you sat down, your followers gathered around you, and then you drew a line 
a very clear line between those people who are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven and those who will continue to live and inherit the world. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would look upon us and, and find us to be the ones that can receive God's blessing. We acknowledge that we are sinners, spiritually bankrupt, poor, in need of a Savior, in need of Christ, in need of forgiveness and grace and strength. We need a crutch because we are spiritually crippled. God, we confess to you that our hearts do not break for the lost. Our hearts do not break for our own sin, Lord. We simply do not shed tears for the things that must break your heart. God, help us. Our hearts do not break for the discord and arguing around us, Lord. We're not the ones who make peace. Sometimes, Lord, we're the ones who make trouble. God, help us. Lord, we hunger and thirst for fame. We hunger and thirst for popularity. We hunger and thirst for more money. We hunger and thirst for a bigger house. We hunger and thirst for clothes and cars. But, Lord, we don't have much of an appetite for justice and righteousness, Help us, Lord. And God, when it comes to persecution, we have to be honest enough to say that following you really hasn't cost us much. We haven't paid a very high price. Somehow, Lord, we've managed to become discount disciples. Our salvation costs you your son, your blood on the cross, but it's come pretty cheap to us. We haven't lost any friends. We haven't lost any money. We haven't lost a single day's happiness. God, help us to be concerned when the world thinks so highly of us. us to be concerned when our lifestyle does not somehow contradict the values of the world around us. God, help us to be concerned when we are so comfortable and in step with a lost, perverted world. Help us, Jesus, today to come back to your word. Help us to listen when you speak clearly about the kind of people that receive God's blessing and salvation. God, today we just come to you because we want to live blessed lives. And you are the only one who can bless us. Lord Jesus, by your grace, by your blood, by the promise of salvation, make our lives worthy, the blessing of the Father. It's only by your grace. But Lord, for this we beg you, we beg you, for Jesus' sake. Amen.